Welcome to the Trad Geeks Podcast. Here are your hosts, Kevin Marrow, Mark Caphart, and Mike Drew. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Trad Geeks Podcast, episode 38. Tonight, we have a special guest with us. Who do we have with us tonight, Mike? Tonight, we have Nick Pinizzato, president and CEO of the National Deer Alliance. guys so we threw a curveball in there mike is with us tonight mark, up, guys? mark is at home hanging out with juliet probably couldn't make it tonight which is cool but mike is joining trad geeks here for those of you that don't know mike you need to follow him on instagram and uh you'll get to know him more because he'll be here with the podcast most of the time and everything we do with Trad Geeks. So, Mike, tell everybody about yourself a little bit and uh, what you have going on. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, as Kev said, this is Mike. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Mike underscore Drew something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Mike underscore Drew 21 uh, on Instagram. Um, a long-time hunter. Just got into traditional archery last year. Uh, I've been hunting with the bow since I was probably 12 years old, but how to draw it for traditional archery. Uh, picked up my first bow last year, which coincided with me uh, meeting Kevin. And uh, so the rest is history. I harvested a great buck this year. Pretty happy about that. And uh, I've kind of just moved into completely 100% trad. So this was That's just a awesome. That's progression. Awesome. We'll get into more detail about that hunt here in a later podcast probably. Um, but Mike's a good friend of mine, and it was just a, a great – thing to have him involved more with what we do with Mark and I. Uh, We're we're all working full time, so it's tough to produce content like we need to and want to. So having an extra guy helping only helps matters. Like tonight, Mark can't make it, so uh, Mike can step in. Or if I can't make it, maybe Mark and Mike can podcast with somebody. So it should be fun. But yeah, Mike is extremely proficient with a trad bow for his first year. (laughs) My buddy Aaron and I always talk uh, behind his back about leagues, and he's going to pass us up real quick. Aaron and I are always on the leaderboard. Aaron beats me a little bit, but for his first year, he will be passing us up soon because we've been in trad now for five years and never shot like that. So no pressure, Mike. It's not really feels doesn't feel like pressure. Just I don't know. It feels natural, so it's it's good. I'm not. Really having the issues with the struggle stick, as some people say. Uh, no, struggle stick, my ass. Obviously, <laughs> there's a. I've got a lot of time ahead of me to find those struggles, but uh, you know, it seems to sometimes I shoot really well at league. Sometimes I shoot a bad first half, and I turn it around in the second half where I realize I'm doing something, something stupid, something I know I shouldn't be doing, and mm-hmm. I get it straightened out. And uh, I don't know. Last week I shot my best score yet, and I did not think I was shooting well at all. So. Doesn't say much for me shooting before, but maybe it shows something for me shooting uh, in the future. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited. I'm excited to see what it holds for you. And, and that buck you held out all year for him with the trad bow. So that, that shows some dedication right there. But we should dive right into this podcast here with Nick. Uh, like Mike said, Nick is the president and CEO of the National Deer Alliance. He has a long history of being involved with conservation and uh, his career. So it should be exciting. But as always, this podcast is brought to you by QU. Q 
QU designs and manufactures ultralight hunting apparel and tackle. To find out more about QU, visit KUIU.com. And that's about it. Should be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Let's dive right in. All right, guys, we have Nick on the line. Nick Pinizzato is the CEO and president of the National Deer Alliance. How are you doing, Nick? Great. How are you guys? Real good. good. It's uh, nice to finally have you on the show. We've been wanting to have you on for a while now and just could never get things aligned, but um, it's great to have you on. Uh, go into, to start this podcast off, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and, and what you're doing with the National Deer Alliance. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of ground to cover, but I'll, I'll start off with a, a little bit about me. Um, so I grew up, actually, actually, I was born right in the area where, where you guys are. I was born in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. I use that as a fun fact everywhere I go across the country. <laughs> tell them I have something in common with, with Punxsutawney Phil. So, so are you coming uh, back tomorrow, Nick? Isn't tomorrow I'm Groundhog's not, Day? <laughs> no, I'm not coming back, but... Um, you know, my grandmother, who lived her entire life in Punxsutawney, she celebrated Groundhog Day with gusto, as many people do there. And we, she used to send, uh, when she was still alive, she would send us Groundhog Day cards every year, and you could count on it. But uh, So at any rate, yeah, I, I grew up right there where you guys are. And uh, I didn't grow up there. I was born there, lived there for a short time, but then uh, really grew up just outside of Indiana, Pennsylvania, so western Pennsylvania, and really lived there much of my adult life that's how i ended up in the in the hunting world essentially if you grew up in pennsylvania you just you'd be a hunter i think pretty much right off the bat and i was just doing a seminar the other day and i was talking about pennsylvania and i said it's interesting when i where i grew up i just assumed that everybody hunted and it wasn't until i got out into the rest of the world that i found out that only about five to seven percent of us actually hunt in the <laughs> united states so I said most of those must have lived right around me because everybody hunted, boys, girls, whatever. <laughs> so, you know, sure. as well as anybody, if you grew up in that area, hunting in the outdoors comes very naturally to you. And uh, through some, I think, a little bit of luck, but certainly some hard work and a few breaks here and there, I ended up finding myself in the outdoors industry. Um, when I left, I worked 11 years at the Western Pennsylvania Conservancy uh, started their watershed conservation program and uh, during that time spent a lot of uh, my free time doing outdoors a lot of outdoor writing I got into some photography and videography and tried to stay close to the industry never really thinking that I would do it as a full-time job and had it started a deer scent company which I sold and I think it still exists out there today hmm. and uh, and then eventually when I took the big jump to, to get out of just straight conservation and water conservation, I, I left Pennsylvania to go to, to North, North Dakota of all places and was the, the recruited to be the CEO of the, of the, of Delta waterfowl foundation, which that seems a little odd because to be, to be honest, when I took the job, I didn't know squat about ducks. <laughs> I'd never even hunted ducks. <laughs> but, uh, but I knew how to run a business and especially a nonprofit business and that, that was the thing they were most interested in. And mm -hmm. so I did that for a little while until I realized that no human beings really should probably live in Bismarck, North Dakota. <laughs> and I uh, came back to close to home, come back to Columbus, Ohio to, to be the CEO of the Sportsman's Alliance. Mm -hmm. 
which was a really cool job because now I was in all different aspects of the outdoors, but primarily fighting the anti-hunting crowd and just a lot of a lot of bad, bad legislation and so on that impacts our hunting sports, hunting and fishing. And uh, after doing that for a few years, this whole thing about the, the National Deer Alliance sort of cropped up. Now, I had been most people always just affiliated me with deer. That was my passion. That was my interest. That's mostly what I wrote about in my, mm-hmm. on my blog and so on. And that's probably how we got connected actually at one point. I, I think it is. I started following your, at that time it was the white tower writer. Yep. I, I followed that as well. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been, I don't even remember how long ago it was, but that was a while ago. And um, so at any rate, um, when the deer Alliance started, it was getting started. I remember I was in the meetings when they were talking about starting it, and I was a little bit skeptical of what would another deer group be and would it compete with groups like the QDMA and Mule Deer Foundation? Um, you know, what was it going to be? And I never really seeing myself as the person potentially running it. Mm-hmm. And uh, as it came together a little bit better, and they put together a board of directors that had some really good people on it that I knew and trusted. And they started to, excuse me, formulate what the organization would actually do. I, I became a little more interested. And then um, actually, <laughs> I, I recommended two other people for the job as they were searching for people, which is kind of funny. I wrote two letters <laughs> of recommendation. And um, they just they just weren't satisfied with the recruiting and had come back to me a couple of times and said, you know, seriously, will you sit down and talk with us? And so I did, but then it was funny because the second interview I was supposed to have in person, I, I told them I wasn't coming because my dad and I had already planned a mule deer hunt in South Dakota. And um, so I kind of blew off the second interview and they still hired me for some stupid reason. But uh, <laughs> uh, at any rate, I'm glad they did because I think it's, it's a really cool thing. If someone would have told me back when I was a kid that, hey, someday you're going to be the leader of this brand new national deer organization that's really going to be the umbrella on policy issues for all deer organizations in the country, mm-hmm. I would have jumped up and down and said, heck yeah, sign me up. So um, that's a bit of a long story, but it, it no, took a while to get where I'm at now. And um, you know, I think that, I think that answers your question. That's perfect. You, you started out, I know you're a big outdoorsman and, and you're a bow hunter and what, what got you into hunting? What is it about deer that drives you um, every day, you know, to, to make a career out of it and be so passionate about it. And now running the National Deer Alliance, you know, what, what got you into it? What, what makes you tick as far as deer go? I think bro- growing up around it was, it was a huge, you know, a huge benefit for sure. My dad was a hunter and he, he was an archery hunter too, but he was an archery hunter before we had anywhere near the knowledge and technology that we do now. And I think at that time, Pennsylvania, it was only maybe a, it might've only been a a two week season initially when he first started archery hunting. So, and he was with traditional gear, you know, much like you guys shoot. Mm -hmm. I think even, even the wooden arrows and the whole bit at that time, there just wasn't that much there. And he was, he would practice and practice and practice. And anytime he would ever actually get a shot at a deer, he'd never hit one. So um, I would grow up with, you know, all these wild stories about how he just, you know, it, it didn't happen for him. But, um, you know, I think it was just growing up around it. And I had, I also had an uncle that lived in the eastern part of the state and it became a tradition 
every uh, the day after Thanksgiving, he would always come back west to hunt deer with us for the opening day of the firearm season. And I remember even well before I was old enough to hunt, just lo so looking forward to that and hearing the stories. And they, they would let me go out in the woods with them to sort of pick out their spots for the for opening day and just the sighting into the guns and. You know, for me, that was, I think, a big part of it. And as, as far as deer go, and I, I tell this story a lot when I'm out and about and, and talking to people, it's just I, I just fell in love with the animal from the start. It, it, times were different when I when I grew up. It's, I mean, I'm not that old. I'm in my early 40s, but <laughs> we spent we spent a lot of time outside. I mean, my, my brother and I and sister, even we we were always outside and we were up on the hillside behind the house and I was constantly out looking for deer and scouting for deer and uh, writing stories about deer even before I'd ever even hunted one. Mm -hmm. So I just, there was a passion there. And the more, the more I learned, I still remember to this day, uh, my dad let me tag along with him. He was hunting squirrels and we come up upon a scrape and he pointed it out to me and explained what it was. And I probably was about, I'm going to say eight or nine years old. And I was just mesmerized by it. It just blew me away. And from that point, I just had this thirst for knowledge and and really became just, I studied so hard, I became really a self-taught, I don't want to say deer biologist, because I'm certainly not that, but almost as knowledgeable as the people that studied it specifically. Mm -hmm. You know, I joined the QDMA, for example, and I started eating up everything that they would put out and just reading all the research. And so I've just been in love with the animal. Yeah. Uh, my entire life, and you guys can probably relate to that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Pennsylvania, it's tough hunting, but um, for whatever reason, it, and probably because whitetail is the primary big game animal that we can hunt, maybe that's part of it. But, uh, you know, we, we're both big deer guys and, and whatnot kind of switching gears here and I want to I'd love to pick your brain a little more down the road here in the, on the podcast about conservation and and how you I know you're a really successful hunter um I've I've followed you for a long time and and you go to South Dakota and as do I so I want to get into that but before we do to get back on track tell us a little bit more about the National Deer Association for the listeners that don't know anything about it and um you know, what you guys have going on over there. Yeah, and I appreciate that opportunity. So the National Deer Alliance was really created initially, I'm going to say it was created, the idea came from the Quality Deer Management Association. And what was going on was back in 2014, QDMA was doing a look at its own organization internally and saying, why, why is it that we can only get to, you know, 40 to 50,000 members. Why aren't all deer hunters signing up for this organization? Do we need to change our name? Do we need to change our focus? Mm -hmm. And I think through some soul searching and some good strategic planning, they figured out that, you know what, we need to stay true to who we are because QDMA is a very unique organization focused more on uh, better habitat, better deer, good science. But they also realized that not everybody not all deer hunters want to want to perform to that level or, or participate at that level. Mm -hmm. You know, we have 80, 83% of everybody that hunts says that they're a deer hunter. So they're, that's the gigantic section of the piece of the hunting industry is deer. But a lot of those, the higher percentage of those people are people who are just happy to buy a license and go out and frankly, you know, grab their trusty gun and sit on a stump for a couple of days and, and call it good. 
So the, the, the people that are kind of crazy about it, like us, we're, we're really in the very small minority. So QDMA said, you know, we, we probably should stay true to who we are, but let's have this deer summit, bring in some national experts and see what comes out of it. And ultimately what people said was, you know, it's kind of funny. We do have deer organizations, but they're all very specific. So QDMA does their thing. Mule Deer Foundation, of course, just focused on mule deer and some very specific things about mule deer. And Whitetails Unlimited is more of just, a, I call them an enthusiasm group. They just get people excited about deer hunting. But we don't have a national deer organization like we have the National Wild Turkey Federation, for example. And on top of that, we have all of these issues that pop up all across the country that are starting to impact deer hunting. And it's everything from bad bills and bad policy to, you know, what's going on in our urban landscapes and how we're not allowed to hunt deer in those areas now to not being able to control predators to just outright anti-hunting issues. And, you know, throw on top of that disease and all these other things. There are just a lot of things that we need an organization to pay close attention to. So we need to create a new one. Mm -hmm. So then they followed that up a year later and had the next deer summit in 2015. And that's the point where they said, we're, we've come up with the name for an organization. It's going to be the national deer Alliance. It's going to be founded out of QDMA whitetails unlimited and the mule deer foundation. But this group will serve as the policy umbrella for those three groups. So those three groups will still work on issues, mm -hmm. but not to the depth and level at which NDA will focus on them. So that's how it was created. And, you know, one of the things that was important to me when we, we started is that we're not a competing organization. So we don't do banquets or those types of fundraisers. We, our membership is free. All you have to do to become a member of the NDA is go to nationaldeeralliance.com. And very clearly on that page, you can see where you can sign up. And the reason we do that is, number one, we don't want to compete. But number two, when an issue pops up, we want to very easily be able to contact you with your email address and say, hey, you know, with a couple clicks of the mouse, you can be sending a letter off to your legislator and weighing in on this important issue. So that's how the National Deer Alliance was formed. And we're in a little bit beyond our first year now, heading into our second year. And I think we've already done a ton. And certainly got a lot planned in the coming years for sure nick thanks for the info on the uh, the nda it sounds like a great organization um i, I was on the web page a couple times over the last week and, and it, being as it is a deer central organization is there a um uh, you also i'm sorry you also had a a couple i think president's notes or, or president's blogs one of them uh being about a bill in the midwest uh was it about mountain lions was that a recent one? Is it a, a, a cat hunt or yeah. something you posted on? So you're branching out more than just deer. You're, you're focusing on hunters in general, but but deer being the main focus. Or was that just kind of a the president's take on something in, in a current event? Well, it's every everything we do has has to ultimately do with deer in some way. So what the issue there was one one of our key focus areas, and I'll just give you what our focus areas are. Uh, they're wild deer conservation, so we differentiate ourselves from people that raise deer. We're not involved mm -hmm. or interested in that. But So we're wild deer conservation, diseases, predators and competitors, uh, state and federal land management, and, and um, hunter access. So those are our, sort of our core focus areas. So predators and competitors are a big part of that because, see, anti-hunting groups, they're smart. They don't just come out and say things like, oh, we want to stop deer hunting because they know that's going to be a little more challenging. What they do 
is they do things like try to get legislators to introduce bills where you can't hunt or trap coyotes or mountain lions or things that really like to eat deer. <laughs> so that particular bill in Arizona, a uh, legislator, the Humane Society of the United States has gotten to a legislator there and got him to introduce a bill that would essentially protect bobcats and mountain lions. And, you know, bobcats certainly like deer fawns and mountain lions have no problem at all taking down an adult deer. So imagine a world where you can't control these things and they're out there essentially decimating deer herds. And that's exactly what will happen. So that's why it may not be directly just a deer issue, but it may be a situation like that where it does impact deer. So, yeah, absolutely. And for anyone that hasn't joined yet, make sure you go and and plug in your email address because it's helped me tremendously. I, I love weekly checking my email on my phone and, having my coffee in the morning and and reading an article coming from NDA. And and recently, the big topic that I've been seeing come up is the CWD, which, you know, this is probably me being a little selfish, but I'd like for you to talk a little bit about what you know with that. I know there's a lot of different information out there, but from what I've read, the science is, you know, you're trying to raise some money and, and fund more science towards this to figure out exactly how it affects humans and the deer more you know more scientifically based so if you could just touch on that nick that'd be that'd be great for myself anyway (laughs) yeah no and and i'm glad you asked that question because people need to know it's you know chronic wasting disease i could i could spend easily my entire job could be working on cwd so you know the biggest thing about cwd is and just very generally you know first of all we know when, when deer get CWD, it's a death sentence. They're going to die from it unless, unless of course they're shot first or die of some other means get hit on the road. And, you know, occasionally a deer could die of another cause, but ultimately it's a, it's a fatal disease and it can be spread in a number of ways, but you know, deer to deer contact is one of them. It can be spread in the soil. But I think one of the scariest things about CWD is how much we don't know about it. Mm-hmm. So you might recall, for example, when, when CWD, that when I first heard those word, those that acronym, it was out of Wisconsin. That was kind of ground zero where they had the outbreak. And what they did was they went in and just started shooting as many deer as they could in a certain area trying to, to get rid of it. And unfortunately, they learned the hard way that you can't really control the disease that way. So what you have now is you have state agencies. Pennsylvania is one of them. Pennsylvania is a CWD positive state. They're trying to do the best they can to manage for the disease while at the same time trying to learn as much as they can about it. So it's almost like flying the spaceship and building it, building it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hopefully at the end you don't crash and that, that's what you want to avoid. Um, but it's very challenging in, in the States, you know, I'll use Pennsylvania as an example and it's really sad what's happened there in terms of just the amount of money that the agency has to operate on. You know, this is an agency that hasn't been allowed a license increase since the mid '80s. Mm-hmm. Um, they they can't they simply cannot afford to put resources into more monitoring, more testing, and, and or any kind of research on the disease. They just have to you know sort of do the best they can, and that's not just Pennsylvania. There are other states that are in a similar boat. So one of the things we're trying to do is number one, we want hunters to be aware of CWD, and we also don't want to scare the heck out of them to the point where they don't want to hunt anymore. Yep. And that's happening some, so we're concerned about that. It uh, is. The other, 
not yeah, not definitely. to interrupt you, Nick, but this is a, a this is a good time to t- tell you about this. You know, my uncle, for instance, he goes out two or three times in rifle season, and that's about it. And he was sitting in a stand this year reading a game, the game book from Pennsylvania. And he was talking to his son, and they were talking about CWD. And they were reading it, and they were going back and forth. Is it, is it harmful to humans? Is it not? Is it? And so they got the game book out, was reading it. And it said in the game book, it is unknown, or it is not known, it is not known to cause any human harm. And my uncle said to his son, he's like, well, if they don't know, I'm sure as heck not. So he's, you know, he came into my office and was talking to me about it. And he's like, I don't know if I want to even shoot a deer. So in Pennsylvania right now, the last, uh, just the last couple years, talking with patients and friends, it is a big concern for a lot of hunters. Me specifically, I'm not going to worry about it because I've been eating deer for how long and and the CWD's been around for a few years, and I've never had any issues, but a lot of people are concerned about it. Yeah, and, and I think people should want to know about it for sure, but not be afraid to be a hunter because it's out there. For mm-hmm. all we know, for all we know, this could have been out there forever. Exactly. And, and we, don't, we didn't know it. So, you know, we don't want to, we're, we're scared, we're nervous about it, but we don't know things like why does it spread like wildfire, like in, certain area of Colorado, for example, but then in another, in another state, it doesn't spread the, the same way. Yep. Um, do things like baiting and feeders or use of urine sense, is that spreading the disease or is it not spreading the disease? Exactly. So we don't know a lot about it and that's the scary part. And I've been in already several meetings this year. I've got another one coming up in Nashville um, and several other after that. So that's one of the big focus areas that National Deer Alliance is working on. And that is, trying to convene the right people and try to get some more dollars allocated to research so that we can learn more about the disease, make smart decisions about it and not scare our hunters away at the same time. So it's, it's a very complex issue. Nick, I gotta, I gotta ask you one of the things I think you mentioned was, uh, competitors. You said, uh, and I, when I, you said competitors, I, I thought competitors to the hunters. So I'm thinking anti-hunters. And I think that that's something you may focus on. Uh, do you see that as being a big concern uh, nationally? Is it is is anti hunting a locally thing? Is there is there cyberbullying type? Uh, you know the the whole Ava Shockey, all the the death threats she got. Uh, is NDA doing anything about anti hunting or trying to to front that in any way? Yeah, and I should have clarified when I'm say competitors, I'm primarily talking about things like feral hogs, sure, mm-hmm. um, that type of thing. But no, I mean to your point. A lot of the problems we face with, with deer hunting comes from the anti-hunting crowd. So, yes, I mean, I, I'm not directly going out and fighting the anti-hunters sure. like I did with the Sportsman's Alliance. Um, you know, I've certainly had my long, long enough list of death threats people <laughs> come after me. And, I'm sure. I'm you sure. You know, all that, <laughs> that type of deal. But, um, but we don't, I mean, not directly. We certainly, if, if you've been following along on the website, and especially if you read the stuff I write, um, I'm certainly not shy about talking about that crowd and the things that mm-hmm. we have to do to, but you know, the, the thing is they can, they can influence other people and they work hard at influencing other people and that ends up impacting our sport. So for example, you have places like 
Cincinnati and Ann Arbor where they're they're not allowing urban deer hunts, but they're hiring a company to come in and remove mm-hmm. the ovaries from does. Okay. Staten Island is giving all their bucks vasectomies and that's that's really I would much rather see sharpshooters come in in some of those situations where you really can't hunt mm-hmm. and just take the deer out of the mm-hmm. herd and feed some feed the people that need fed um, but this this idea what happens is then every small town even if you could imagine let's say that uh, all of a sudden Punxsutawney has a has a deer issue and they say you know what instead of having a hunt we're going to you know, we're going to do vasectomies and some of these other forms of deer birth control. That's not that far-fetched because these people watch the news and the next thing you know, you know, you get some, you know, people that just walk around the neighborhood and like to see the deer. They have no clue about deer management. They have no clue about what's more humane or less humane when it comes to controlling them. So they start doing crazy things. And of course, you got the anti-hunting crowds and primarily groups like the Humane Society of the United States that come in and, and push for those things. And that's, that's just bad for deer. It's bad for, for hunting. It's bad for people, frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Switching gears again, I know you mentioned uh, when you were talking about the, the main focuses for the NDA, you mentioned hunter access and land management, um, federal and state, I believe. There's a, there's a huge movement out right now to keep lands public, which I want to get into, but, before we get into that, Nick, can you touch base on what you mean by hunter's access um, and, and how the NDA helps with hunters getting access to certain lands? Yeah, one of the things we know that limits people getting out into the field is an opportunity or a place to go to hunt. So if you were someone brand new to hunting now and you wanted to start and you wanted to go deer hunting, you guys know it's not as simple as just going out the door and hunting out your back door like you might have one mm-hmm. time. Uh, you are blessed with a lot of public lands in Pennsylvania, but a lot of states, my state here in Ohio, we don't have a lot. So we're trying to come up with programs in the states that essentially give people more places to hunt. And there are some good examples out there. So North Dakota has what they call the PLOTS program. It's called Public Land Open to Sportsmen, mm-hmm. where the state supplements or provides a little bit of money to landowners to keep their land open. That's very popular there. Kansas has a really good program called uh, walk-in hunting where landowners agree to keep their land open as long as you walk in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, there are examples out there and we're trying to replicate those, you know, across other States as well, because, you know, we don't, we don't want this sport to become just sort of a rich person sport where if you can't afford to buy land or lease land or go with an outfitter that you're, you're kind of locked out. Yeah, and South Dakota is a lot like that, too. Uh, Walk-in-only BLM properties, which is Bureau of Land Management, and uh, a lot of other different ones. But, you know, they have a nice map that you can pull up and and see where all these places are to hunt. So for for somebody out of state that's looking to go out west, you you can pull up this map and uh, essentially hunt all kinds of different places because of that. So it would be useful throughout the throughout the states could you uh could you go into info on the the big movement right now nick which is that i'm seeing all over the place and we're trying to help out in any way we can which is keep it public uh is the hashtag but what's happening is basically and and i want you to explain this to everybody because i don't understand it fully but Mm -hmm. what that movement's all about 
Well, the very basics of it are that the, the federal government, and actually, ironically, it's, it's Republican-led uh, legislature that is pushing for, not all, but some, pushing for the sale of all these federal lands, and essentially to balance the federal budget, because we're balancing the federal budget. Mm-hmm. Um, their, their theory is we just sell it, we'll sell that land to the states, and we won't have the, the costs of managing it anymore, and we'll put money in our pocket, and the states can deal with it. Well, there's problems with that. Number one, the federal lands are our lands. They're all they're your lands, they're my lands, and they've always been that way. And we're not talking about just for hunters. We're talking about people who like to hike, people who like to fish, photographers, uh, anti-hunters for that matter, uh, that just want to go out and view wildlife. Those are all of our lands. And if you if you turn these lands over to the states, a lot of what's going to happen, number one, a lot of them will probably just sell it off to private entities. So you want to talk about loss of hunter access. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a, a big, uh, let's say, uh, you know, just all it takes is one wealthy family to buy up hundreds of thousands of acres and you're locked out. Um, or, you know, additional resource extraction in areas where resource extraction probably shouldn't happen. I mean, yeah, we need to produce oil and coal and all these things, but we don't need to do it everywhere. Um, you know, these lands are really, they've always been our lands and they're sacred lands. And the biggest fear is that if, if we turn those over to the states, that all of a sudden, You've got states that can't afford them. They start selling them off. They start doing irresponsible management of the land. It gets closed off to the public. And the next thing you know, all of these great lands that somebody right now, your neighbor can hop in their vehicle and, and go out west and just walk out there. And they can fish. They can hunt. Whatever. That will all be gone. Mm-hmm. So that's why you see the big push from many different organizations, uh, National Deer Alliance included, to contact your federal legislator and say, no, you know, these lands, they are public, they need to remain public and forget this crazy idea about selling them off to the states because it's it's offensive, it's irresponsible. And this is what happens when you you get uneducated politicians in these positions, uneducated to these issues, and they just throw it out there like it's just a, you know, like it's a piece of meat that's not important. Um, it's a scary thing. So that's why you see such a push for keep it public. And, uh, you know, anybody listening to this, research the issue, just type in federal, federal public lands, and you'll get all kinds of hits on what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. And we have a tool on our website where you can just with a few clicks, send a letter off to your legislator and say no way. So yeah. they need to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. And I did that today. So I did Thank my you. did my part, hopefully, and I was traveling today. I didn't get a chance to. Oh, I need to. <laughs> <laughs> so, the one thing I've been wanting to ask you, Nick, is how has your season been? Where all did you hunt, and uh, did you have a good time? Nick, before you start, I, I got to ask you: How close was that <laughs> buck that walked past your ghost blind? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah you, you saw my video. I saw that like like a ten second video. I mean, that thing looked like it was two yards, maybe. I, well, I easily, easily could have reached out and grabbed her. No That's that. awesome. Yeah, so I, real quick story on that. What I was doing, and I do this a lot, um, I knew I had some good bucks in the area, and I, what I was doing was doing just sort of some observation hunting where I took my ghost blind, and I'm just hunting on the ground, watching sort of a larger area. Of course, you want to take your bow because anything can happen. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching the corner of this soybean field, just kind of watching where the deer I'm after is popping out at, and here come this little buck feeding along the edge of the field. And pretty soon he's standing right in front of me about five yards. And I thought this deer has no idea I'm here. 
So I slowly reached into my pocket and pulled out my cell phone. I didn't, I didn't, when I'm on the ground, a lot of times I don't take my video gear with me. And so I recorded this thing, and next thing I know, he keeps walking right at me and just about bumps into my ghost blind. <laughs> and he walks right behind me and had no idea I was even there. But he was, he was with, I could have reached out and grabbed his, grabbed his rack for sure. That was cool. Uh, that was enjoyable that was to watch. I was, I was cool to catch it on camera, so that was pretty neat. But uh, yeah, my season was, it was a little bit different this year, to be honest, because I, uh, my wife and I had a child that was born. He was doing, we knew he was doing the middle of November. So, yeah, which is. Sounds yeah. like poor planning, Nick. Hey, I'm right with you. Sounds like poor planning. <laughs> well, it is poor planning, but in my defense, so my wife and I have been married uh, eight years plus here. We had been trying the whole time to have a child. And uh, anytime's a good out. time then. We figured that, we figured that ship had sailed. And uh, is it, is it, Apparently it didn't, and it just so we weren't going to complain about what happened. <laughs> Heck no! Congratulations, by yeah, the way. Yeah, congrats. Thank you. thank you. Yeah, so that that threw off my season a little bit, and I had to drop a couple trips that I had a Kansas whitetail hunt that I dropped and a Delaware one. Um, but it was good. I, if you go back into the spring, I, I killed a bunch of turkeys, which was cool, and and uh, killed my two in Ohio in three days, which was pretty cool. And then went down to Georgia and killed one there, and then killed a Rio out in Kansas um with some buddies so that was good and then i shot a, a really nice blonde uh bear in idaho with my bow it was nice June. yeah and i just i just got him back i have his rug on my floor right now <laughs> so that was cool and then uh my deer hunting was was really this year just focused on my ohio whitetail hunting uh-huh. no i'm sorry i did go out to north dakota i went out to north dakota and hunted mule deer on a backpack hunt um solo you know you go back a few miles in a tent and you don't yep. hear see anybody and um i didn't kill a deer it's a low percentage odds hunt but it's, a, it's just a great hunt to just mm-hmm. go and be away uh but i came home and had uh, killed a nice ohio whitetail um not a not a monster in terms of rack or so on but he was one of three or four that i had picked out sort of on my hit list and uh, killed him on well actually November 8th I had him five yards in front of my tree but facing me couldn't get a shot at him uh, chasing a doe you know how that goes mm-hmm. and then the very next day he came and was I shot him much I shot him pretty far away actually but uh, I ended up getting a, getting him the next day he came in on a similar path trailing I think the same doe and just happened that he was I normally I don't take long shots typically, but this shot was 47 yards, uh, but it was ideal conditions. There was no wind. He was facing, looking at the doe. He had no idea I was there and I was able to draw a nice, nice steady hold on him um, and make a good shot. So you real bow hunters that don't use all the cables and things like I do, that would have probably been out of your range. So um, in some ways, I guess that was maybe cheating to shoot him that far, but not, argument, not at all. We're all you shot him with a bow, man. Not <laughs> yeah. at all. My argument is I had him two or two or three yards the day before. So yeah, what the heck, right? No, yeah, no, we don't. Uh, we don't discriminate. You know, rifle bows, crossbows, whatever you hunt with, as long as you're out there and 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 doing it the way you should be by the law and and have good ethics. That's all that matters um, to us. But on the side note, when are you going to take the training wheels off, Nick? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I have I have a really nice longbow that I had made 
uh, for me uh, by a fellow from Pennsylvania. His name is Jeff Fendish. You might know him. I think uh, I do. Yeah, he's out of the Greensburg area. Mm-hmm. I've heard his name. I don't know him specifically, but yeah. I, f- I feel like I've shot with him somewhere. One great out- guy makes. Yeah, he makes beautiful bows, and I had him make one custom for me when I was still living there. And I started shooting it pretty regularly, and I was taking it to 3D shoots. Mm-hmm. And then it got into moving to North Dakota, and then not too long after that, moving to Ohio, and not being able to dedicate myself to it like I want to. But it's still sitting there, and I still do pull it out and uh, Good. shoot a little bit. But um, I'm just not there until I'm totally comfortable. Yeah, you know, I'm just not going to do it. Absolutely. It, it takes some time and you have to have time to shoot. I dedicate a lot of time mm-hmm. to shooting and we all do, but yeah. Cool. Well, that's exciting to hear. I figured you would, you wouldn't be far belong behind uh Mike Groman. That is your buddy. So I got, yeah. I got Mike into it, which I want to have Mike back on the podcast. It's been a while, but to talk about some Level two, he's a level two deer stewardess. We had him on before and just talk a little bit about land management and stuff like that. So, yeah, he's ate up with it now. And I talk to him probably at least once a week about his place up in New York and Mm -hmm. just talked to him the other day about some timbering and stuff he's thinking about doing up there. So, yeah, I mean, he killed, he killed a doe with his, with his, uh, I think he has a longbow. He has, um, he has a recurve, yeah. Recurve, okay, recurve. And uh, he, he was ex- every bit as excited killing that deer with the recurve as he was any buck I ever saw him shoot. So that was really cool. I yeah. think it, I th- he told me the story. I think it took him about an hour to tell the story. That's how excited he was. I mean, he <laughs> well, remembered he, every single right, detail. Right? <laughs> uh, he was supposed to come out uh, this past weekend to the to the house and walk the property again with me. And, and uh I'm sure you've probably hunted my property quite a bit, Nick, if Mike has, but uh, it's the old Lambiot homestead there and uh, in Ambrose. But yeah, he's going to come out and walk it, and uh, I had some things come out so come up, so I think he's going to come out this weekend or next and give me some info on what I should do next. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, I have none of the area you're talking about. I I actually had land uh, in Indiana County myself or mike used to hunt over there with me mm-hmm. so I, I didn't venture out with him in some of those areas but he certainly has told me stories <laughs> that's good nick did you make it back to pa to hunt this year um i haven't hunted pa for i think three years now um i eventually sold off my share of the land that i had there and being in the industry I end up being on hunts in a lot of different places. So I'm a little bit spoiled that way. Yep. So like this year for this fall, I just finished booking my South Dakota mule deer hunt. I'll, I'll be hunting uh, in Delaware. I'll be hunting in Ohio um, and probably somewhere else. I'm not remembering right now. So it's, it's just hard to get back there. And it's, and it's hard too to, to give up time in Ohio to hunt hunt Pennsylvania just if I'm being <laughs> honest about it um so so it's just been hard for me to get back there the biggest thing is I miss is just hunting with my family more my dad and brother yep um so I miss that aspect of it for sure and you know hopefully I can get back that's always important to family and, and stuff like that but we are running up here pretty close to an hour Nick so 
I hate to cut it short. We'd like to have you back on uh, to go dive more into the conservation stuff. And, and I know you've, you've done some great things in Ohio there, which I'd love to pick your brain on. But could you tell, I know you have a, a blog still. I don't know how active you are on it, but I, I believe you changed the URL. So I want you to give that a shout out and then um, tell everybody how they can follow the National Deer Alliance and exactly how they can join up. I know it's rather easy, but. Yeah, so my personal blog, and I'll be honest, it has had to sit there because the NDA has had me so busy and I can only write so much. <laughs> um, and I've, I've also been doing writing for magazines too. So I've been in Peterson's Bow Hunting, NRA, American Hunter, and some other ones. So all my writing time is kind of getting eaten up. But um, it's the deerguy.net. So it's the deerguy.net. And there's still some stuff there. I just haven't had put anything recent. So check that out. And then for the National Deer Alliance, uh, it's just nationaldeeralliance.com and to join, just very simply click. There's a green button right on the front page that says join. And as I said, it's free. It doesn't cost you a thing. We just want your email address and your zip code so that whenever there's an issue, we let you know. And you will get our newsletter every Wednesday at 8 a.m. It'll hit your inbox and it has deer news from across the country. You'll see also some exclusive articles that I've written or other people who contribute to uh, the NDA on watch newsletter. So there's a lot of good stuff there and, you know, we need your membership for sure. Are you guys active on social media, Nick? Any yeah, Instagram, you. Facebook? Yep. Join our Facebook page. You know, just, it's just Deer Alliance, Facebook Deer Alliance. We also are uh, on Instagram. We we're spending a lot more money and resources this year on our social media. So we're putting out some cool stuff, uh, working with a really talented guy out of North Carolina named Mike Turbyfill. Uh, he's handling a lot of that for us now. Um, a lot of people might know Mark Kenyon from Wired to Hunt. Mm -hmm. uh, he's him and I work together on our newsletter. So we got a really good, good team of folks there. So if you're not following us already, you're, you're kind of missing out. Get on board and come along for the ride. That's great. We're, we'll make sure we uh, link everything for the listeners so they should be able to click right on our website to get to everything. But Thanks for taking the time to talk with us, Nick. I know you're you're uh, tight with work and family and all that, so we really appreciate it. And like I said, we'd love to get you back on to to talk more about deer specifically. Yeah, I'd be happy to talk to you guys anytime for sure, and I appreciate the opportunity. And now it's time to go put baby to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, Nick. We'll talk soon. Thanks, man. Thanks, guys. Good night. All right, well, we had a blast talking to Nick from the National Deer Alliance. Uh, make sure you guys get over there and check out their website. Sign up for it. Expect that newsletter every Wednesday morning and stay up to date on what they're doing for the deer and the deer hunter. Uh, Kev, why don't you tell everybody where they can find us at? Instagram, Facebook, iTunes, subscribe. Give us a review for a podcast. It'll help us out significantly. And also subscribe to our YouTube channel. We should be having more vlogs and and reviews up on that here in 2017. So, yeah, as always, stay safe. And shoot straight. <laughs>